Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 573 of the Juice Box Podcast. On today's show, I'll be speaking to the mother of two adopted children, one of whom has type 1 diabetes. Abby's on the show specifically now in November because not only is it Diabetes Awareness Month, but it's National Adoption Awareness Month as well. And I'm adopted too. So I don't know why that matters. Sorry, I just threw that in. Now I'm feeling stupid for saying it. Let me go to something else. Nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Speaking of Diabetes Awareness Month, I'm still trying to get as many people as I can to sign up and take the T1D Exchange survey at t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. It was my goal to put a thousand people on the survey this month, and we're off to a pretty good start, but I definitely need more. So I hope you can help. t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. You have to be type one or the caregiver of a type one and be a U.S. citizen. This episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod Promise. Find out right now if you're eligible to get a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash at omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Later, I'll tell you more about that free trial and explain what the Omnipod Promise is. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. You can head there right now to their website, dexcom.com forward slash juice box to find out more about the Dexcom G6 or to get started. Wear the same CGM that Arden's been wearing forever at dexcom.com forward slash juice box. I'm Abby. My family and I live um, in the Nashville, Tennessee area. You will pick up a Southern accent as we are talking. It sneaks out every now and then. Married for almost 18 years. My husband is a firefighter. So that has an interesting dynamic. We have two kiddos. My oldest is eight and a half. And he is our type one. And our youngest um, also has special needs, a different sort of special needs. She is seven. Wow. So that's my crew. And just so we know, like right out the gate, both the kids are adopted. Yes, they're both internationally adopted. Um, my oldest, um, Shay, is our son. He came home when he was one. We actually got him on the morning of his first birthday. Oh, wow. He is Taiwanese, native Taiwanese. And then our youngest came home at three and a half, and she is from China. No so kidding. What, that's us. Can I ask you what made you adopt? Oh, yeah, that's like a whole separate podcast. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll make it all part of this one. Yeah, no. So my husband and I had been married for about 10 years. We knew that we wanted children. We also were in alignment that that wasn't happening the natural biological way. And we did not want to have any type of like um, interventions to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And so my heart was drawn toward adoption really early on. Um, he has his own story, but he would tell you that. He had to wrestle with some pride around, well, this isn't like the way I thought we were going to start our family and kind of struggled with some maybe ego, even if he was being honest of this isn't what I expected. Um, 
but obviously came around and we were in agreement that that was what we were going to do to start a family. And yeah, we, we started down the path of can we, can we adoption. pick through that for a second? Sure. So I, you don't have to obviously share anything you don't want to share, yeah. but is it hard not to feel like it's your fault when you can't conceive? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, we, we did go through diagnostic testing and so we did have answers. I, I do say, I will say this. I think there's something unique and as a female, people automatically assume there's something broken in you as the the woman in terms of like, this is what a female is supposed to be able to do. And I think, yeah, there was a season of life where I felt sort of broken in that and that things weren't functioning as they should be. And like, um, if I'm also very honest, this is part of my story. This sounds probably kind of strange, but up until that point in my life, if I had wanted something to go a certain way of my life, like it had happened, you know, where I went to college, I got my first choice. Like when I graduated, like what job I wanted. And I, you know, things just sort of always fell into place for me. So just from a personal, honestly, from my, it shifted my faith pretty substantially in terms of, oh, like I'm actually not in charge of any of this. And um, this is, I'm not in control and my life isn't going to just be plotted out the way that I think it's going to go. And so, but there was a grieving process in that of, yeah, this was supposed to be something that was easy and it's not for us. How old were you when you started trying? Um, we got married very, what we, what we now know was very young. We didn't think we were young. We were 23 and 24. And so I was just out of grad school. And so we were, when we got, when we started trying, so I was to gosh, 28, I guess. After you started trying, how long before you thought this isn't going to happen? Um, gosh, so the doctor won't even talk to you about that conversation until you've tried for a year. So for a year, we were sort of in like no man's land of like, okay, is something wrong? Is is something like, are we just slow in this process? Like what's happening? And so at the one year mark, when it hadn't happened, is when we started some diagnostic um, testing just to get some answers so, so that we knew what was going on and then could make decisions from there. About the time you find yourself under the bed with a wrench tightening up all the bolts. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, I don't know what's going on, but the bed's falling apart and no one's pregnant. Um, at the point at the point where you start thinking like, no, I don't want to have sex again. <laughs> yeah, no, this, there, this, trust me, it becomes a job at that point where yeah, you're yeah. just like, yeah, it was, um, it was, you know, looking back, it was a very challenging season of life. And that's to put it mildly, of course, you know, on this side of it, totally worth all of the difficulty and the, you know, the frustration and all of that. I I often say the the way that I know that part of my life is healed. And that story is because I would not go back and write that story any differently if Mm -hmm. I could. And for a long time, I didn't believe that was possible. So if I give you a magic wand and I say, I can make your fertility no trouble, but you lose the kids you have and you make your own babies, you wouldn't do that. Uh, Never. Not for absolutely any reason would I ever. This is the what was meant to be for Uh us. Can I ask you, as an adopted person myself, how do you talk to your children about them being adopted? Because, well, first my question is, is even though... I imagine physically they look much different than you. Does that really, I mean, what age does the kid even start noticing that? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, that happens differently, honestly, for 
each kid. And we do have the unique situation where, you know, our children aren't domestically adopted. They're not Caucasian. Um, So obviously like we don't physically have the same characteristics, but the, you know, we, we did have to go through a lot of kind of parenting prep, you know, to become parents on this path, um, which I'm deeply grateful for, you know, you could be resentful and like, why do I have to do all this? But in reality, what you are taught and trained, um, it's really, really important. So you get, you learn, how do you have these conversations with your children? When is the age that you start having conversation? And so the biggest thing for us is that our children would never, ever remember having a conversation about like they would never be able to go back and be like, I remember the day I was told that I was adopted. I don't have that memory um, either. Yeah. I, and so yeah. that's an indicator of success. Um, and so I'll tell my mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, um, you know, I mean, we just named, we, we gave, especially our oldest, we gave him language very, very early on of, you know, who birth mom, birth father, birth family. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked to, we, we had, you know, books that normalize that like families all like different, like it just was a normal conversation. And so the, and we still, to this day, read a lot of books that help both of them understand like it's okay we talk about having both and feelings like you can feel both happy that this is your where you are and at the same time deeply sad that you're not in your family of origin that you don't know who they are you know right. we can hold space for both of those things um i'm not saying we do this well you know all the time but we try to be very intentional about um making space for whatever feelings that they have our son is very emotionally mature for an eight and a half year old boy. Okay. Very in tune with how other people feel, how he's feeling. Our youngest one, um, because of her medical conditions, processes things a little bit differently. So she's a little bit blissfully unaware, even though we've had conversations. Um, it's But they're very different between okay. the two of them. Did you, um, obviously, well, not obviously. So your son didn't have type one when you got him? Correct. Okay. Did you, so, g- but going for your second, were you purposely looking to help a child with special needs? Um, no, not intentionally. So we felt very strongly that, so, I mean, a lot of people don't know this. When you adopt part of the paperwork, especially for international adoption is you have a, like a medical questionnaire that you fill out of what types of medical conditions am I comfortable parenting? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like this, massive list and and you literally have to check off boxes of what I what I accept a child that had this not this um we my husband and I felt very strongly you know this is not a puppy right like you're not selectively choosing things and we also felt like if we had had children biologically like you don't you, you don't pick. do that right yeah, like yeah. you this is your child and whatever that child has is you manage it in whatever situation so Um, there might've been maybe two things that we said that we did not feel equipped. And and it was more about like how our home is set up. Like Mm -hmm. we have stairs. If you have a children that a child that's in a wheelchair, like obviously like you're going to have to sell your home and find something that's a little bit more accommodating. So minus like very one or two conditions, we were open to anything. Um, when we got matched with our daughter, She was not known to have any special needs. We knew she was at risk for something, but until she could get stateside um, and get an MRI, that could not be confirmed. But the third day we were in China, she had a seizure on us. 
Um, and we very quickly realized that she did have, it's called Sturge Weber syndrome. It's, um, similar to epilepsy, but a little bit more complicated. And our son was with us on that trip. And at that time he was undiagnosed type one. Okay. Can I ask an honest question? Sure. You're in China. That happens. Is there any part of you that's like, just back up and leave? (laughs) Oh, so I do not say this like flippantly at all. That experience there was 100% a trauma experience, Mm -hmm. like hands down. It was trauma experience for us and for, for both kids. It was probably up until this point in my life, maybe the worst thing of one of the worst things that I've ever lived through was that experience. Um, I remember when we went to the emergency room, we were with, um, our translator, the first, this is things we take for granted in the United States, like walking into an emergency room and being treated. And the first ER we walked in, they were like, we can't help you because she's a child and we only treat adults. So like, you need to leave. And so we like get back in the van and like drive to another emergency room that would see children. It's utter chaos. There's no order. There's no organization. Um, and there was a, you know, we had a CT scan. They literally Googled her syndrome, printed off the information and handed it to us and said through the translator, we've never treated a child that has this. You just need to go back to your hotel room. Like we cannot help you. We don't know what to tell you. And we got the, got back to our hotel room. Um, this was again, we'd been there for four days and we still had 10 days left in China before we could come home. It's a very regimented Mm -hmm. process. You don't just go at your own pace. And I remember sitting in the floor of the hotel room. Um, and she, she appeared as if she'd had a stroke. I mean, that's what had happened. Um, we we later found out it's something called Todd's paralysis. It's like a temporary paralysis that can happen. Um, but we didn't know that. Yeah. And I remember just this utter overwhelm of we flew over here with like a healthy child and, you know, we knew this was going to be tough, but all of a sudden, like, is she going to be permanently disabled? Like, is she going to recover? Like we have, we're here, we're stranded. It was, um, yeah, overwhelming would be an understatement to say the least. I would, I, I, I know the intention is to adopt a baby, but your entire lead up to that is not expecting anything like this. It feels like it would be like if I took you into a hospital and just said, okay, that person's troubles are your troubles now. Yeah, because, you know, they say, you know, in adoption, it's unique because, you know, biological parents, the bond is instant, right? Because that child was grown, you know in a, in your womb. And when it's delivered like that bond, it's instantaneous. And in adoption, it's okay to name that that bond isn't instantaneous. And, and especially for our daughter, we, I remember we talked about this and this was true for, for Shay as well, our oldest, like we had loved them from afar while we were waiting. But like when we got there and got her in, in, um, in her instance, like we were complete strangers to her. Yeah. So like she did not love us. She did not even know us. And so, yeah, it's um, love is an, is a choice in that moment. Right. It's not like, it's not a feeling, it's a decision yeah, yeah. that she is mine. And even if those like feelings 
aren't there. I mean, and also she was three and a half, you know, that it's, it's different than a newborn. And so So it's a very unique process. So even though it's not instantaneous, you have to make the decision in that moment that this isn't, this isn't a transactional thing that's happening here. Like I'm going to be, yeah, I'm, this is my child. I love this yep. child. And let's figure out what to do next. Absolutely. I mean, you go, I mean, you do go into 100% like mama bear mode in an, in a moment mm-hmm. you're still overwhelmed, but it, it's also like, this is my child. So now we got to get it. We got to get to work. We got to figure out. So even though you haven't home. given birth, you have that. It's so funny that you're on today. Last night I was in the, in the house with Arden and a number of her friends and in the course of some conversation, one of her friends was saying, I don't know, that they didn't think they were going to have kids or something. And uh, I said, I, there has to be a switch somewhere on the way out when the baby comes by and like flips it. I was like, because you'll just, you'll be surprised at what a different person you are after yeah. you're a mom. But you have the same exact experience. Oh, without question. Now, of yeah. course, I can't, um, you know, I, I don't have children biologically, but I would argue extensively Mm -hmm. that um, my feelings toward my children are 1000% the same. They are, they are mine and that those maternal instincts, they are there just as present and known as if I had carried them. Um, Yeah. It's, it's really amazing how that works. And now some of that takes grows, right? Because again, it's not a, I didn't have them for nine months and carry them in that sense. And yeah. so, um, I guess you're but, also yeah. lacking all the hormones too, that you would yeah. have during pregnancy. Absolutely. Birth, right. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, I have two younger brothers that are biological to my, to my parents. And I've never once felt like my mom treated me any differently than the other yeah. two. Like I couldn't sense it. If she was doing it, she was hiding it really well. <laughs> I, sh- sure. I bet she wasn't. <laughs> okay. So all of this happens. Yes. And I love making this podcast. I just realized while you were talking, I was like, this podcast, like in general, it's like maybe the greatest thing I've, I'm ever going to do. Um, so <laughs> at what point does Shay get type one? Hey, did you know you may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash? That's a free 30 days of using an insulin pump. Actually, not just an insulin pump, a tubeless insulin pump. An insulin pump that you can wear in the shower or while you're swimming or while you're relaxing, running around, exercising, uh, living, sleeping, everything. You never have to take it off. And because you don't have to take it off to shower, you can't forget to put it back on, which can happen when you're using a tubed pump. So that's pretty much it. You head to Omnipod.com forward slash juice box to find out if you're eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. Now, if you're thinking, yes, Scott, I would, but I'm waiting for the next big thing from Omnipod. So, you know, I don't want to get started with this because then what if I can't switch or something? Well, that's not actually a problem because with the Omnipod promise, there is no need to wait for the next big thing. With the Omnipod promise, you can upgrade to Omnipod's latest technologies for no additional cost as soon as they're available to you and covered by your insurance. Terms and conditions apply. And you can find out all the details again at omnipod.com forward slash juice box. And the promise is actually simple, a lot like the Omnipod, meaning there's no strings attached. You're just eligible for it. You don't have to sign up for it. You just get an Omnipod dash now. And if something new comes, just call them up and get the process started. 
I'm telling you right now, my daughter's been wearing an Omnipod since she was four years old. She is downstairs and she is 17. That is 13 years every day of wearing an Omnipod. It has been nothing but a friend to us in this journey with type one. And I think you'll like it too. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. So the Omnipod's a big part of why my daughter's A1C has been between 5'2 and 6'2 for the last seven years. But another huge part is the Dexcom. And right now, Arden is wearing the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. I'm picking up my phone. I'm going to my app. I'm telling you Arden's blood sugar is 121. Arden actually had a big meal recently um, at a restaurant right after a pump change. So you know, had to be pretty aggressive for things not to get out of hand, but we've been using the data that's coming back from the Dexcom to stay on top of that blood sugar. No spikes, and we're not gonna crash low as we bring her down. It's because we can see her blood sugar in real time right in front of us. Not just the number, but the speed and direction that it's moving. It's crazy, right? 121 in stable is a lot different than 121 in rising or 121 in falling. So we're able to make thoughtful boluses right now so we can get Arden's blood sugar back to the range we want it to be in before she goes to bed without causing a low. Dexcom gives you that information, the kind that you need if you're going to make decisions like that. Good decisions with insulin. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Get yourself a Dexcom G6 today. Did you know not only can I see Arden's blood sugar, but up to 10 followers could. I'm using an iPhone, but you could use an Android, wouldn't matter. It could mix and match, actually. I could use an Android, my wife could use an iPhone, Arden could use an, it doesn't, you see what I'm saying? Um, 10 followers, so up to 10 people can see her blood sugar in real time, right on their phone. And if Arden didn't have a phone, she could just use the Dexcom receiver. You don't have to have a phone to use the Dexcom. You do need to have a phone to be a follower, you understand. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box links in the show notes links at juiceboxpodcast.com support the sponsors support the show oh don't forget to take the survey at t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box back to abby at what age so we came home from China. That was September of 2018. Mm-hmm. So we get home and, um, you know, if I'm honest, like life isn't awesome, <laughs> you know, right. um, that's kind of common. She, again, she was medically complicated. Um, you know, our, we work, we're very pro therapy in this household. Um, and we have a counselor that we work with and she you know, has sort of laughed and said that we live the trauma trifecta, which is my husband comes from a um, kind of a childhood that had trauma. He is exposed to a job where every third day for 24 hours, he's in a trauma environment as a Mm -hmm. firefighter. And then we're raising children that come from a trauma environment. And so, you know, that isn't always fun. And so that first year we were home was, really, really tough. And, you know, again, for Shay, imagine like you get a sibling overnight, that's three and a half, and she's getting a lot of attention because she's medically needy and complex. And we were, you know, ambulance at the house, overnight stays in the hospital, you know, MRIs, appointments, lots of, you know, stuff. And she was getting a lot of attention. And so behavioral wise, like he struggled in that 
year we were home, we all were struggling to just sort of stay afloat. Mm. So in retrospect, I can look back and see some of his behavior issues I do think were related to the fact that his blood sugar was probably off the charts. And what I can now see in him, like when he's high, it's that like massive irritability and, you know, like explosiveness sometimes I can see that. And so I can look back in that lens and probably guess that some of that was his blood sugar, you know, making it worse because Mm -hmm. we didn't know that that was going on. Um, but there was just some things that started to emerge that we started to put the pieces together that something else might be going on. And so Sophia came home in um, September of 2018 and he was diagnosed November 8th of 2019. Wow. <clears throat> was there just the, did you just go into a room for a half a second and be like, oh, come on. <laughs> Oh, no, I I can tell you where I was sitting. And we we came home from the hospital and I was sitting on the edge of the bathtub, um, just weeping and feeling like, um, wow, like I am not equipped for this journey. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and also if I'm just very honest, like, again, from a faith perspective, like, really, God, like, what, what else have you got for me? Because this, this is a lot. I, I'm not sure I'm capable of walking this road. I mean, I really had that feeling. Are you even 30 years old at that point? Right oh, gosh, that? I'm much older than you. Um, I'm, I'm right now. I'm almost 42. Oh, so, okay. So people can't <laughs> see you. You look like you're 12. Never mind. <laughs> I'll take that. Thank you. No, I feel like I trust me since November 8th of 2019, I feel like I've aged (laughs) significantly, but um, no, I'll be, I was, I guess, yeah, I was 40. I just turned 40 a month before when he was diagnosed. It's telling because, you know, people who are younger than that, who don't feel like they have things together, probably in the back of the head are like, oh, I have to have it together by the time I'm 40, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I was already there. So (laughs) I share on the podcast pretty freely that I don't think I was even like a the person I am right now, as far as like thoughtful, just over the last couple of years, yeah. like I just feel like um, I'm a guy, but like as my get older and my testosterone dwindles a little bit, I can focus a little more on other stuff. Yeah. But it is like, you don't know what it's like to be a man. It's uh, it's like a mad tear to see yeah. boobs, yeah. You, you know, like it's hard, like it really gets a hold of you. So yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I think that's one thing that made, you know, again, when, when you, when your family gets a type one diagnosis and I do feel like, you know, the family honestly gets the diagnosis Mm -hmm. because it has a ripple effect as you know, very well. And where, um, and I, and this again, is part of our story that we try to share openly and honestly is like, yeah, it will, it will take your marriage and test it to the limit as much as possible in terms of, um, we already felt like we were sort of fragile. You know, we had just walked through a lot. And then that, when that diagnosis came on top of that, it really, you know, I grieved and was, and felt really sad. I let myself kind of sit in that sadness and, my husband's response to that feeling instead of grief, it was rage. He was just so angry, so angry, angry that it had happened, angry that just angry. Yeah. 
a hundred percent, the only feeling that felt like he could sit with was like utter rage. He was just so mad. Yeah. And, and you, that was very hard for us to walk through together of me feeling sad and him feeling ragey. Right. And like, and it was, you're taking care of the kids too. Right. Yeah. And like me, me wanting to just like, not, it's so interesting. Again, that mother instinct, I, I, I can almost take you back. There was like a moment he was, he'd probably been diagnosed for two weeks and there was like this feeling that like rushed over me of, you know, Abby, get it together. Like the, you are his mother and you can be sad, but you have got to fight like hell. Now there's no other choice. Like you don't get to lay down and just give up or just feel like this is overwhelming or feel like, you know, there, there was just this primal urge of like fight mm -hmm. and do whatever you need to do to make this the best it can be. Yeah. Um, but like, I could take you to the moment of like, I remember that feeling of, okay, that's enough. And like, now it's time to get to work. Yeah. Cause the, uh, the, the alternative is you just lay down and die. Right? Yes. Like, yeah. I mean, you could just let it. So I've talked to other moms, you know, that have been, their children have been diagnosed since Shay and just can empathize so deeply with that feeling of just wanting to, like let it swallow you up mm -hmm. like the grief and the sadness and the overwhelm of like, I just, I cannot do this. But as a mother, it is simply not a choice that's afforded to us. Yeah. Right. You, you don't not, you do not do that. It's your child and you'll do whatever you need to do. Right. Yeah. It's a, uh, for me, it was more of a leap. I think because I'm, I'm not a mom, you know, honestly, Yeah. but I was a stay at home dad there was this time where I felt like my wife, if she was with them right now, like if she was with them every day, she would know what to do. There'd be a mm. more instinctual thing going on. And then that would mean they'd receive something that they probably need and deserve. Mm. And I have to stop acting like I'm just keeping them alive mm -hmm. and throw myself into this, th this feeling and, which is why now I feel like I'm probably just too ovary shy from being able to give birth myself. Uh, but, <laughs> but I just realized, like, I guess, like if I'm not as emotional as I need to be, and, and I don't overcome all the demons of how I grew up and yeah. all of my problems, then I am just going to extensively throw everything that went wrong with me onto them yep. and steal this experience they would have had with my wife if financially we could have done it the other way. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll give over to it. <clears throat> but it's, um, the, the hard part was that it felt like you were giving something else away. I yeah. don't even know what that thing was. The idea of what I thought my life was going to be yes. or what I wanted it to be or something like that, right? But once I realized that they were the most important thing, then uh, and I and I dedicated myself to it, then I didn't feel like I lost anything. Now yep. I just feel like I'm I have a different purpose and I'm doing a really good job at it. Yes. It's interesting, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, wow. See how much fun this was? We didn't even talk about diabetes yet. <laughs> I get notes from people sometimes. They're like, I learn a lot about the world from your podcast. It's not always, it's not always it's like about diabetes. And I was like. A whole wide range of topics. You never know what you're going to hear. So what are we just going to talk about boluses every time? That's, that's no fun. Um, okay. So what was the diagnosis like? What, what made you notice that it was happening? 
again, my husband is a firefighter. He's also an EMT. And so he has, um, you know, he's medically inclined. I'm not a clinician by background, but I have worked in healthcare for years and am like clinically, I guess, um, literate would be the best way to describe that. Can I guess then you found out he had type 1 diabetes when your husband ran his head through the drywall? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, no, not quite. He just, you heard him yelling, going across yeah. the room. He's like, oh, <laughs> damn it. And then boom, right? Yeah. No, that wasn't not like that. quite. No. Um, so there, again, behavioral wise, we had seen some regression in Shay's behavior once Sophia came home and we were trying to parse out like how much of this is adoption behavior, how much of this is developmentally, like he's just struggling because he has a new sibling. Like it was, we were in this space of there's some stuff going on. He had had a history of um, like occasional urinary tract infections. Mm-hmm. And so we started to see some regression around wetting the bed and this was a child that was like the easiest kid to potty train like had never I mean he just was simple it was so easy and then all of a sudden it became like this repeated thing in full disclosure I have a lot of mom guilt about this like it I was irritated and angry with him at times because I was like it felt in the moment like regression around attention seeking, right? I just am trying to do something like power stuff. It was, and uh, I'm like, I know you're capable. You've been capable of this for like so many years, like what's going on. So that, and then, so that was one thing, one part. And then that was coupled with, he is, um, you know, does so well at school and is a very like rule oriented kid, meaning he like loves his teacher, doesn't get in trouble. Always, He's just that kind of kid. He yeah. always has been. And he got his card pulled in first grade for asking to go to the restroom when they had just gone to the restroom at lunch. Oh. And I was like, why did you need to go to the restroom? He was like, I just am, I was th- I'm thirsty a lot. And so, you know, it was funny, but not funny. <laughs> Ironic, I guess. My husband and I, it's like, and maybe you've had people say this before. It's like, if we just didn't say the word, then it just wouldn't come true. Mm-hmm. Both of us like telepathically are like, we need to make sure he doesn't have type one, but in, but to say out loud, let's go get him screened for diabetes. We just were like, yeah, let's just like make an appointment at the pediatrician and double check that he doesn't have a UTI, that there's not something like strange going on. Very under the radar, like we're just going to, this is a, it's going to be a non-issue. You guys know? are both being super casual knowing that you're wrong, right? <laughs> yeah, just like, but I mean, honestly, yeah. I, I'm going to be well, I know what you fully direct. Um, this is part of me being naive in this. I was like, you know, he's Asian and the propensity of type one in the Asian population is a lot lower. So I was like, he's not going to have diabetes. He's, he's native Taiwanese. Like the, the odds of a Taiwanese child having type one has to be even more tiny than like the average, you know, population. And so in my mind, I had sort of already written it off of like, there's no way this could be it. Yeah. You didn't do the other math where you're like, we flew all the way to China to do a a lovely thing. And (laughs) the baby had medical issues immediately. Maybe we are the people this stuff happens to. No, uh, correct. Yes. (laughs) I had obviously not done the math of that yet. And so can I stop for a second? It's super funny because I hope people are listening who have, you know, natural children who have these problems and they feel like, oh, it's, you know, like we're cursed or it, it's yeah. this stuff always happens to us. Like you randomly took people from other places. 
<laughs> yes. still had the same issue. Yes, right? absolutely. And, and I, still, oddly enough, felt, you know, I've, I've read and listened to people talk about this weird feeling of like responsibility of like, oh, these were my genes. And like, is it, did, did I quote unquote, cause this, you know, like that, what happens right. as a parent, I even had those same feelings. And again, you know, genetically, I have no responsibility for either of my children. They, they, we do not obviously share any of the same genes. And I still had this weird feeling when he was diagnosed of like, I'm responsible for this or like, did I, w- what did I do here? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, I Even though that made no logical sense, but that's how I just resonate with biological parents who have that feeling of, gosh, this were, these are my genetics somehow that like th- set this. this up to happen. Um, so that's not even, yeah. that's not even specific to people what? who are having genetics, like their, yes. their own biological children. Wow. Yeah. I don't even know why I brought up what I said other than I think there's a lesson in the words somewhere, but I haven't, parsed it out yet i don't know what it is but that you can let go of that guilt now if, yes. you, ha- if you have it it's not you didn't do anything absolutely just, so you, much you, um there's so many people that i talk to through the podcast that it's become kind of obvious that a lot of people who say they have type one have sort of like irish english backgrounds and i know that's anecdotal but sure. i mean unless that's the only people who are listening to the podcast but it seems un- <laughs> it seems i'm not marketing to it just a pasty white crowd you know like so i don't think that's what's going on um but think about that like what if that's true like forget it if it is or it isn't just make it true for a second for the sake of argument you didn't choose where your ancestors were from this has nothing has nothing to do with you and yet you'll spend time like beating yourself up over it it's it's sad i think it's because our brain desperately wants to assign meaning to something when it's catastrophic, right? We just need, a, we need meaning and we need a reason. And yeah. so like our brains will do anything to try to make this make sense when like, it's never going to make sense. Right. You just have to accept it. Yeah. You could almost pick yeah, anything so, and hang um, it on. Sorry. No, no, uh, good, good. Um, so yeah, so we had these, you know, symptoms and this is how nonchalant we were sort of being about it. Um, my husband was training for this very intense it's called smoke divers training. Um, he was going out of state for this. He'd been training for like 12 weeks, crazy intense. Like it's like the Navy SEALs of like firefighter training that he was like going to do. Mm-hmm. And he was leaving town that the morning of the appointment. And so he was like, look, let me take him to his appointment. We'll do like a daddy son breakfast date at like waffle house. I'll take him to his appointment. Then I'll take him back to school And that way I can see him before I leave for the weekend. And so I'm always the one that like goes to the appointments and does all that. And I was like, you know what? You, you take him. That's fine. That's how naive I was that this is going to be like a non-issue. And, you know, he called me and they had done, you know, a finger stick and his glucose in the office was over 500. And he was like, you need to get in the car. Like you need, you need to get here. And so, um, barely remember the drive to the pediatrician. It was about 15 minutes away. I was probably doing a hundred miles an hour to get there, like threw stuff in a bag. Cause I knew we were going to the emergency room because that, you know, yeah. and so we got there, went straight to um, the local children's hospital. And it was on a Friday morning when we got to the emergency room and very thankful that we did apparently intervene soon. His A1C at diagnosis was only 8.4. Mm-hmm. 
So he did not have to go. He was not in DKA. We did not have to, we didn't even get admitted. We stayed in the emergency room for about 12 hours and then we're able, well, maybe not even that long. We were able to be discharged straight to the outpatient endocrinology office on campus and get all of our education and stuff. And so the whole, from the appointment to the time we got home that night was probably about 15 hours. Wow. And then, um, yeah, so and he didn't no even have pee. to stay. No more pain in the bed then. Yes. No. And then, so he is always reminds me now of like, mom, <laughs> you know, I told you I was doing the best I could, but like, you didn't believe me. And I'm like, I know. And that makes me a horrible mother because I did not believe you. Listen, but um, I yeah, try to be so. really honest on this podcast. And if you think that you can't feel attacked by your children, sometimes <laughs> it's a completely irrational thought, but they yeah. do something sometimes. And it's hard not to think, yo, you don't know me, but I used to be a person with dreams who wasn't yeah. in charge of someone's life. And I'm here doing this thing. Like you, you'll yes. run through that thing in your head. Then you're like, oh, they didn't ask to be here. Like, yes. this is all ridiculous. No. Like I'm thinking, you know, and I say that yeah. a lot is like, you know, neither, and especially in our children's situations, like, you know, they, they, this is not the life, like they had no say in any of this, right? Like yeah. th- this is like, they are here in this world, in this life. Um, and Especially yeah, they, they didn't really adopted. have a choice in that. Being adopted, it's twofold, really. Like, you really did decide to get them. You didn't just be yeah. like, hey, let's see which one comes out. You were like, yeah. I'm going to go get somebody, you know? Yes. It's intentional. Not yeah. that not that, not that that having sex to have a baby isn't intentional, <laughs> but I don't know. There's something about that that makes it yeah. feel like uh, like more so. Okay, so. Yeah, and go ahead. It's, it's interesting because. You know, I did when we brought home Sophia, I did not feel I didn't identify as like a special needs parent or like a child. I just, you know, he was always like my healthy 95th percentile height weight, you know, just he, you know, I just didn't identify that. And then overnight, you know, I was the parent of a child with a complex medical condition that was going for testing and needed medication and needed monitoring. And I didn't know anything about that world. And so it literally was a flipping of the switch with her. And what I'm grateful for is that I can clearly see how her, her joining our family was in some way equipping me for what was ahead. I just did not know that was coming. Right. So I was already in a much different place. Thanks to her in terms of, I know what I'm capable of. I know that I can manage something. Um, so that I don't know when, when we got his diagnosis, yes, while obviously like overwhelmed and all of the things that is it's a natural feeling. I also felt strangely, strangely equipped because I already had a child that had complex medical needs yeah. that I had to manage. Well, your expectations for yourself are different at that point too. Yeah, like you don't, true. it's not like, I wonder if I can do this. It's like, well, yes. I, I guess I know I can, you know, I've proven it. Yeah. Yep. Doesn't I know mean, that I'm capable. Doesn't mean you deserve more. For all the for all the religious people listening right now, I'm not saying that Abby was like got a baby with type one because she was ready for it. Because I I understand the sentiment behind that. And I know when people say that to you, like, oh, if anybody could do it, you could. Like that's yeah. a nice sentiment, but I mean in real world, that's yeah. bull, you know, you know, yeah. like, so agreed. Uh, yeah. Um, I had a pastor one time that's used an expression that he says things say easy, but they live hard. And I feel like that's in that category, right? Like it's easy for someone to say that about, but like the lived experience of that is obviously a yeah. completely different story. It, it also paints the picture that if I'm a, if I'm a, if I'm a screw up, then nothing bad will happen to me, which is yeah. a weird, like, like <laughs> tell people like, look, just don't be ready for anything and nothing bad will happen yeah, to you. It'll be exactly. amazing. Yeah. 
I do I do want to before we move on reach back to something you said so so long ago already that mm-hmm. I let get past is that your life just worked up until then. You yeah. had something, you wanted to do it, you did yeah. it, it happened. Yep. And I think that is so common for people like, you know, I mean I I can be honest. I guess you you grow up one of two ways. Like I could tell you that nothing in my life happened easily. But I grew up that way. But for somebody who did, like I watch my kids, like my son's athletic, he's handsome, he's strong, he goes to do something, he does it, he decides when he's 21, 21, I might want to try to pitch and goes out and like throws a ball 91 and a half miles an hour the first time. He's like, oh, maybe I could just get drafted and do this. I was like, you know, like, like that stuff. And then out of nowhere, he got Hashimoto's mm. and I watched it like crush him. Not for long. He pulled himself together, but it crushed him because, and I kept thinking, nothing's ever really gone wrong. Yeah. You know, like he doesn't have any perspective for something not working out the way he wants it to. Yes. And I keep wondering if maybe when he's older, hopefully I can try to stay alive long enough. Like, I wonder if he'll look back and think, like, thank, thank, thankfully something happened that gave me some better perspective. Cause when Absolutely. stuff goes too well for you, you really don't have any real world perspective at all. Yeah. Grit is not developed right yeah, in yeah, that yeah. sense. Whenever it's only easy and not that you, you know, want to sign up for like tough experiences in life. But I think, again, that's why on this side of it, I can say I'm, I'm grateful that it happened the way that it did for us because right. I would not be the person. I mean, I know that's sort of cheesy and people use that expression in different ways, but like, Honestly, I wouldn't be the person that I am if that had not happened. And it shifted me and shaped me in a way that like it changed me for the better, mm-hmm. you know, even though it was not something that I would have willingly like signed up to experience. No, I I understand that sentiment. I completely agree. Um, okay. So you're home from the hospital. Yes. It's only a few years ago. Do you start with like, what gear do they give you to start out? Um, so we started out on, are you asking like, what did we come home from the hospital with? Yeah, Insulin needles. Yeah. Like, yeah. What did they so, give um, we came home, um, on Novolog, obviously injections and on, um, oh my goodness. I just went blank on his long acting insulin. Lantus? No, the other one. Traceba. Traceba. Thank Lantus. you. My brain. It's been so long since I've had to think of it. Cause he's on a pump now. And okay. so like, I haven't hit. Um, yeah, so we came home on Traceba and Novolog and yeah, you know, the first, that first weekend, um, was horrible. Like a lot of parents, like, you know, he cried and, you know, he also was a constant snacker and he loved second portions of everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for him to realize that this can't be you know, that, that world is over at least for now. And we have to figure out how to do this. Um, that weekend was horrible, you know, for him and just grieving, watching him grieve the loss of what he knew prior, you know, um, I always have deep empathy for kids that are diagnosed even in their like teen years, because it's like, you clearly know what life was like before this. And even for him at, you know, seven, he knew what life was like prior to this. And so, yeah, so we were on that combination um, from diagnosis in November. And because of the podcast and because I'm an avid reader and I like will devour content if given the opportunity, I always laugh and say, I just proceeded to get myself a master's degree and all things like diabetes related and studied and 
proved to our endo that I, we were not a, a typical family in the sense that we could handle we could handle the data of having a Dexcom. It was not going to overwhelm me. You know, we had that whole conversation of if we put you on one too early, it's going to overwhelm you because there's so much data to look at. And I just made the argument that the lack of that data was giving me anxiety. Like I wanted to know. Yeah. Um, honestly, he got the Dexcom the week before Thanksgiving. So again, we, we got it pretty quick. Yeah. That was the first time I felt like I could breathe was just when we got that, I felt like, okay, I I feel like I can breathe just a little bit in terms of sleeping, um, which still doesn't, you know, isn't super great, but it was better then. And then um, started to advocate pretty heavily that we wanted a pump, Mm -hmm. but we wanted to make sure that we were letting Shay drive that conversation and not us. And I actually think it was maybe one of our diabetes education classes where one of the nurses had said like parents push often for a pump very quickly, but just be mindful. It isn't on your body. And so like you do need to make sure it's what your child wants and that you're not the one trying to push for that. And so I, I did try to take that to heart and make sure I was, we were giving him voice in that. Mm -hmm. Um, And we actually went to like a regional type one event in January of that year and he was in like a kid's class that day while the parents were in sessions and it was, it was a JDRF event and we got in the car that day to come home and he was like, mom, they all had pumps. I want a pump. Like, you know, that was his first visual exposure to other kids that had it. And he right. was like, yeah, that's what I want. Yeah. No one had a pocket full of needles like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. so once he was able to verbalize like, yes, I know I want that. Then I started full force. Like we're doing this like as fast as possible. Yeah. And so he transitioned um, to a pump in March of 2020. Literally he was on spring break. And never went back to school, of course, because of COVID. Um, And so went on the Omnipod. And yeah, we've been on that ever since. Wow. I think uh, when Omnipod 5 happens, your overnights might get a little better. Oh, I just, yeah, I was reading an article just this week to my husband. And we were just like, whew, life is going to be awesome. Very soon. (laughs) Had COVID not happened, I think it would be out already. Yeah. So. Um, we were willing, he, he's been very vocal again. He loves his Omnipod, even like we let him, of course, he came home with, you know, a couple different options and tried them. But for him, the, um, the, because of the fact that it's tubeless, I mean, he just, he was like, there is no other option for me. He was adamant that that's what he wanted. And it's been and like wonderful for him and life giving in so many ways. How did you find the podcast? So I have, um, I, I grew up in a small town and the neighboring County, like we were a very small town as well. And, you know, we all, you know, everybody close by you and that sort of thing. And so there was another mom that she went to a, like a local high school that was like in the County over from mine. And we've always known each other and her daughter, um, has type one. And I believe the Facebook post I made of when we came home the next day and it was a picture of him in the ER and asking, you know, letting everybody know what was going on. Um, I could go back and look. I actually think she commented in that thread tagged you or the podcast one. You, you commented back. Oh, did I? And yes. 
Um, I wish I remembered. I'm and sorry. yeah, so that's uh, he. It was the weekend we were diagnosed, and no so kidding. he found it right away. And then you, I found and it you like quickly. listening and and yes, I remember binging multiple. This was pre pro tips, like that wasn't a thing really. I mean, like you hadn't organized it in that sense, and so I just remember like binging. I think in that Facebook post, I asked, where should I start? And you gave me some suggestions in that thread of like, here's a few episodes to get you started. And um, yeah, so thankfully I didn't go too long at all before I I found you as a resource. That's cool. It's hard for me to um, remember the podcast the way I intended it in the beginning because it was so like loosely like I'm like, let me just get started and like I'll, I'll, I'll tell the story and we'll see where it leads to. Um, it's fascinating. Like I'm yeah. really, really touched by the fact that it could be valuable to anybody. Um, well, you know, and, and really neat story. I've used it so often. I mean, even in my current full-time job, I'm, I work remotely. That was pre COVID. It's a virtual organization for the most part. And, you know, a, a person on a different team than mine, um, her daughter was diagnosed just a few months ago. And even just this past week, she had DM'd me in Slack and said, my daughter, we're struggling. She's still on MDI. She's sneaking food. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And immediately I was able to go and like, you had an episode on that. And I was like, I DM'd it to her and said, like, have you listened to this one? She was like, I have it. So thank you. So it's just always nice. I feel like when somebody has a question, there's, usually always an episode that matches. <laughs> I'm starting to feel good uh, that that's true because I'm starting to find myself seeing people's questions and be like, oh, I can just answer with an episode. Like, <laughs> like that's really cool. Like, and yeah. that's what you get out of longevity too, is, yes. is being around for a while. I'm thrilled that it, it and it, I didn't ask you, but it has been helpful for you. Oh, no, it's been immensely helpful good, 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 in, in so many ways. Um, yeah, it, it was it gave me language that I didn't know that I needed. Um, I really do feel like it helped me advocate in a different way. I felt more confident in my ability to advocate for, even for a pump. I just felt like I had the language to just know what I wanted to say. Um, the, I, the whole thing about, um, I know it's a tagline now, but like being bold with insulin, I'm so thankful that I listened to that early on so that that feeling of being afraid of, of giving too much, like that just never, I didn't sit in that space because I had listened to that episode so early on, maybe in the first week we were diagnosed that that didn't have time to take root where I had that fear. And so I don't know, it's just always, it started me off on a foundation that I felt like made, um, yeah, it it made our transition to this world a lot less lonely for sure. That's excellent. I have to say that the idea of, I, I know I've seen people like, you know, people who are like, maybe like more low carb, they'll be like, that's the bold with insulin guy. And I, I want <laughs> them to know, like, I, I, I didn't come up with that. Like, I know it's the title of the episode, but yeah. if you listen enough, you realize that while I'm editing, I just go, oh, those are words that sound like a title. And yeah. then I put them on. <laughs> I don't really think too deeply. Sure. It was maybe two years after that episode came out that I started seeing people use the phrase on social media. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking that has to be me. Cause I've never heard anyone say that before so much so that I was like, I think that's an episode title. Like I, <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> really even certain, you know? Yeah. And then I went back and it was, and I started asking people questions like, yeah, there's that episode that teaches you to be bold with insulin. I was like, Oh, is that what it does? 
Like, like that's, that wasn't like, I was just telling a story that day. You know, I think that was just, that's a one-on-one episode. I'm just talking into the microphone. Yeah. And, um, I I think back and I'm like, I wonder what would have happened if I picked three different words out. (laughs) That that would have been it. Would that have been it? You know, would you have been running around saying a different thing or, um, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of weird that that's the case. And I just spoke with, um, I've spoken recently with two different hospitals and I, I should knock on some wood because I really want to do this. But I think I might be invited to teach their staff how to talk to people about diabetes. Oh, that would be huge. And that is just comes from having all these conversations with people. Yeah. Like, yes. And, and you guys are all like sort of like my knowledge is now an amalgam of all of your experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's weird. I feel like I'm, uh, I don't know, like I feel like I'm I, like I'm like uh, Siri. No. <laughs> It's a good, it's a good analogy. I like that. But it's, it's, and I, and I love like getting better and better. I got a a thank you from a little kid today, like a little voice note that was like, it just was like this little six year old kid. And he's like, thanks for teaching my mom all this stuff. And I sent it to Jenny and I said, I'm better at this because of you. And, and so I think it's just starting to be that thing where it's just, we're feeding ourselves and each other. And it's very, very cool. So I get a little misty when I talk about it. And usually people are looking at me while I'm (laughs) recording, so it's easier to get away with. Uh, But yeah, your story is messed up. (laughs) (laughs) I always say like, when I, we go places, like we just went to family camp um, for our second year in a row. And I was like meeting with the um, counselors that were going to be working with him. And I'm like, look, our family, we're a lot. We're very complicated. <laughs> so just buckle up. Let me explain all. Going <laughs> we got on. a lot going on. <laughs> Has anything helped you and your husband? Like you were sad. He was mad. Are you guys in those places still? And if not, what do you think helped? Yeah. I mean, a lot of therapy, honestly, a lot of support. Um, I mean, really, honestly, therapy has helped immensely actually talking about, um, I mean, we were pro therapy before this, but I think like specifically being able to process process that and how each one of us were feeling very different and having very different reactions to that. And um, especially for him, helping him come to terms with, um, like what caused that in him. And it was like the lack of control. And as a weird, and maybe you can relate to this as a dad, also this, like we talked about like mom instincts with this like primal feeling as a dad, that my job is to protect and feeling like for whatever weird reason I didn't in this, even though that's illogical, right? Like that's not possible, but him feeling like this has happened and like, again, this, I didn't do my job as a dad. Like, I don't, I feel like I I messed up somehow. And which was not obviously a healthy response, which he had to unpack and figure out. But I think it was, um, I, I read something not too long ago and she used the analogy of scaffolding on a cathedral and how, you know, scaffolding is so ugly, (laughs) And it may, it takes a building that's, you know, beautiful otherwise. And like, it just makes it look so ugly, but it's necessary to restore and maintain something that's precious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I've said, we have lived these last few years with a lot of scaffolding up. Yeah, um, It's been ugly, but it's also been very necessary to preserve what's precious, you know, underneath all that. And so we are, slowly like those pieces of scaffolding are being like removed but it's been um 
an ugly process. You know, it's not been always nice and neat, but it's worth it. It's just, it takes time, right? Healing around that sort of stuff just as a long process, but we're, it's a much better place than where we were. It's just, um, it took a lot to get us where we are. I have two episodes coming up soon that'll be out for months by the time yours goes up. Um, there were two different therapists and they're both about relationships and around type one because it's so, uh, difficult. And I relate to what you're saying because I am inherently inside of me. I want to fix problems Yes, and, and, and just, um, not just big ideas. Like if you were to come to me and tell me about your day and it sounded like something inside of it wasn't going right, there was a time in my life where I wouldn't have been able I wouldn't have even been able to hear your story. I would have already been constructing a way to fix the problem that you described. I wasn't even listening listening to the people who were talking to me. I was like, how do I fix this for them? And and it's obvious. Like, if you listen, it's obvious. I'm adopted for one, right? My parents, even my adopted parents are divorced. And when when my mom and dad broke up, I became kind of the de facto parent of my brothers. Like, I've been fixing people's problems since I was little. Yeah. You know, and now I get into a situation where every problem doesn't need to be fixed. And I can't stop myself. Like, I'm a fireman who sees a fire everywhere, even if there's no fire. Yes, exactly. Yeah, right. And I think, yeah, that was like, he he was used to being that guy, right? Like, I'm on scene, I'm in control. Like, we're going to get this figured out. And then, um, and then it like struck really close to home of just being reminded, like, I am not in control. I think the fragility of life gets very thrown in your face, right? In an instant of like, okay, there are some things that I, this is real. Like I can't prevent things from, ha- you know, they're going to deal with hardships that I cannot take away from them. Yeah. And so what, what, how am I going to sit with that uncomfortable feeling you know, you when it's something have, I can't fix. You also get a false sense that you're actually fixing something. Like even yes. even in the fireman analogy, you go, you put the fire out, you leave, and you're like, we did it. Except yeah. they still don't have a place to live. Their cat's dead. They don't have clothing. They lost <laughs> exactly. all their – like you didn't really fix the whole thing. You, so put, you put the fire out, right? And yeah. so even when your kids are asking you stuff and you're like, well, you know, I don't know, X, Y, Z, do this. That fixes that problem. I still wasn't listening to all of the other emotional entanglements that were going on. I was like, I see a tangible problem in front of me. I know how to fix it, which is why you'll hear me like joke and not joke on the podcast. And I say like, if the zombies come, you come find me because I'm going (laughs) to be alive at the end. Right. (laughs) But um, it doesn't mean I'm going to be alive and happy. I'm just going to be alive. Right. I'll be, I'll be, uh, it's not like I'm, it's not like I'm going to be able to build a utopia somewhere. I'm just not going to let the monster get me. Yes. Like like it's kind of how I feel. That makes sense. Anyway, I imagine your husband probably had similar feelings. It's cool that he did that. Did you, um, have to cajole him or did he go willingly? In what way? To therapy. Oh no. Well, I think because we had already, we had such a foundation of like being a pro therapy family because we, we needed to be even before, you know, he was, even before Shay came home, we've always been a family. When you, um, when your kiddos are adopted, um, you know, if you're, if you're wise, you don't wait for problems to emerge. Like you're, you try to be in front of a lot of that. And so a lot of what we've done was pro what I would call proactive therapy. You know, we were kind of trying to get in front of things, have good conversations about stuff. Um, but this, um, no, he, he, he didn't fight it because he also knew that 
the end result of if we didn't process it or like, you know, walk that path to healing was not going to end well. Right. Like he knew. So yeah, he went, um, it took us a little bit to find the right person. We, we struggled a little bit with that, but it's been one of the healthiest things. And I think honestly should be required for like every newly diagnosed family. I think you should get, you know, a Dexcom and a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just said this somewhere else, but I'll put it here too. COVID did one good thing, um, if it did anything, is um, mental health has gone online in a big way and yes. made, it made it much more accessible for people. Agreed. So I think that's great. Uh, yeah, dude, you were amazing. <laughs> I, seriously. I didn't know you were going to be this great. We, we really struggled to get you. So what happened? Did I move you first because of my trip? No. Yes. So I think, so we had booked it. And then you emailed and needed to move it. And I think I must have not moved it on my calendar. I left the original appointment. So I right. thought it was yesterday. Yeah. And then when the reminder came out from Squarespace, it was like, it's today. And I was like, I'm <laughs> like, I have a team meeting at that time slot. That was like, we had a training that was like non-negotiable. I had to attend. So I was yeah. like, I'm not going to be able to do it. And so, yeah, I'm well, glad that thank it you. worked out. I can tell you that um, I can tell what you do for a living because- you are you were so good at laying this out. Like oh yeah! I have never not. I don't think I've spoken this little in a long time. I was like, this <laughs> well, is, I'm a talker this. too, so I'm from the south. We talk. I talk a lot. No, but had <laughs> yeah. you had you gone in a way that I would have been like, oh, this is blowing the flow of this. I would have like redirected you. Okay, but, good. But I was like, wow, she's doing so good. Like there was a moment where I was like, I wonder if I could leave. <laughs> <laughs> Do I need to be here? No, I was like, she's doing such a good job. I could probably like go make a sandwich or something and come back and just be like, you know. Um, oh, no, gosh. Well, really I hope that was a compliment. Good. I hope it wasn't that I was taught. I, no, I no, hopefully it was an absolute compliment. I, okay. you, there are, listen, you guys hear every episode that I record. I've, I think of only maybe destroyed two or three of them for yeah. reasons that the people that recorded asked, you know, yeah, um, sure. and they've always been reasonable. I've always thought at the same time, you know what? You're right. Let's be done with this one. But um, there are some people who are more natural at, at getting their story out. There's some yeah. people who feel the flow of it. There's some people who have it planned out in their head and that stifles them. And there's some people that have it planned out in their head and that helps them. Yeah. I think about um, like little Sophia from Russia. I don't know if you heard yeah. hers, right? Yes. At one point I tried to move on and she was sort of like, mm, yeah. we're not done here yet. And I was like, oh, we need oh. to go through this part. <laughs> like, all right, geez. You know, like, but that yeah. that's, but everybody's different, but everyone's great in their own way. Yeah. Just you were, you, you clearly talk to people and explain things to them. Like, yeah. Like that's in your, in your, in your professional life. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you're really good at this. Um, Absolutely. So, That's well, thank excellent. you. I'm I like, I really am grateful for, for, I mean, I know people say that to you and I know you probably, I don't think you, I mean, you don't probably get tired of hearing it, but in honestly, like you were a lifeboat to our family when we like desperately needed it. So now I'm going to cry. Okay. Thank you very much. I really appreciate um, people don't understand this world and you feel so lonely when you're first diagnosed and there was something so comforting about like I just didn't feel alone mm -hmm. because I could listen you know what I mean and it just and it also I'm an action person and I just felt like there was this like again 
when that primal instinct of like get to work, I felt like it gave me something tangible to do. Like I can do, like Mm -hmm. I can consume his content and I can do something with it. And I felt like it gave me empowerment of like, I don't have to just sit here and wallow and feel like shit because this is bad. Like I can do something about this. And so, um, well, the actionable cool. part of it, I've always appreciated. No, that's cool because that's one of the things I did on purpose. So is the idea of boiling the concepts down that they were so small and understandable that you could actually be like, I think I could try this. Yes. You, you know, like exactly. instead of just feeling because you have to give over to the idea that everyone newly diagnosed or even if you're struggling, you're overwhelmed. If you knew what to do, you'd be doing it. Of course. You, right. It's not happening. If you're a parent, you've got the anxiety and the stress. If you're the, an adult with type 1 or, or otherwise, your blood sugars are bouncing all over the place. It's difficult to think. And now people come in with these overly complicated technical explanations with a bunch yeah. of words you don't understand. And after they're done, you're like, I don't know what I'm yeah. supposed to do what with that. What am I supposed to do with that? Right. So yeah. I thought, why don't I just explain to people what's in my head? Yeah. You, you know, which is just like I've said before, like I, I don't have the ability to break that stuff down either. That's why I made the podcast because yeah. I, I mean, that's why the podcast, the podcast exists because I didn't want to count carbs. That's one yeah. reason, you know, um, I needed a different way to do it. I've come to realize now over time in, in my heart, it's a, it's a time capsule for Arden a little bit. Yes. Like, you know, like I want her to I be able that. to like understand diabetes. Like even if like she wakes up when she's 30 and she's like, let me figure out what this guy was talking about. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, it'll all be there for. Yeah, for her. Um, I love that. Yeah. And it teaches me, like, while I go, I have a lot of ideas while I'm talking to people yeah. or moments. Like, even, like, when the podcast is kind of, like, delved into, like, talking to a therapist or, like, that kind of thing. It's all really yeah. important. And we say it's important, but then no one talks about it. Yeah. And I think that self-help, which it ends up being is far less about directions and more about like like a visceral understanding. Yes, the like, shared experience. Yeah. yeah. You can't people, just give people bullet points and expect them yeah. to fix their life with it. It's so true. Right. I also think there's something, again, this is my world, is there is something um, like deeply sacred about holding someone's story and like that's what you do is like you, you, you people come on here and like, you were the holder of that space. And like that, that is, there is something in that that's really, really special and unique. Um, it matters, you know, people being able to tell their story in that sense and, and having somebody hold space for that. Like it is important. Yes. It really is. Someone has to do that. It's, and it can't just be anyone. And I don't mean this as a pat on my back, but like, it can't just, it has to be somebody who holds your attention. Who's, voice makes you feel comfortable whose cadence, yes. whose cadence makes you feel like, like I remember watching Dave Chappelle receive like the Kennedy Center honors and he said that when he was growing up his mom I, and I'm I don't know all the details so I'm gonna sound like an idiot for a second but there was this this older idea of that there's a storyteller in the tribe and that, yeah. that and that she saw him that way and and I was like oh that's super interesting and yes and I don't see this as any different than that Yes. Right. So it, it's very specific. It's very niche. It's diabetes. Yeah. Almost more specifically type one. Although I do think a lot of the management stuff we talk about, even the ideas, if not the insulin fits with type two pretty has, well. Yeah. It has application. Yeah. But I just, I think what you said is really 
like insightful and I appreciate it because it's so easy to look at this and be like, Oh, it's a podcast, but it's, 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 it's everybody from all over the world getting to add into the story of what it's like to live with type one in a place where it's actually consumable. Not like, Oh, I ran into an article once, but then I didn't see the next one about the next person. This is the hub. It happens here. And so that is um, magical. Yes. And and it's perpetuated. It. It's perpetuated by the people who listen because you don't grow a podcast on purpose. You don't buy ads and yeah. talk people into listening to it. It literally has to be your friend telling you yep. and you doing this and people. It has to be people. organic. It, if it's yeah. not, it just doesn't work. Well, first, let's thank Abby for coming on the show and telling us that amazing story. Thank you, Abby. I want to remind you that it's Diabetes Awareness Month in November and National Adoption Awareness Month. Thanks so much to Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor for sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox Podcast. And thanks again to Omnipod. Head over to their website and find out about that Omnipod Dash. See if you're eligible for the free 30-day trial. That's at Omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. And of course, the Dexcom address is Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. There are links to these and all the sponsors in the show notes of your podcast player and at juiceboxpodcast.com. Couple of little things at the end here. First of all, thank you very much for listening to the show and for supporting the Juicebox podcast by sharing it with other people. I really appreciate that. What else? Ooh, t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. U.S. resident has type 1 diabetes, U.S. resident, is the caregiver of someone with type 1. In less than 10 minutes, you can fill out a survey that will help other people with type 1 diabetes, and it'll help the podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, you should check out the Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. It's a private group, so you can go in there and really talk about type 1. There are over 17,000 members in that group who understand life with type 1 diabetes. The group is absolutely free. You should go check it out. 